God in modern America? Pat and our team seek the answer to this question and many more as we navigate life as Christians in America today. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Millennial God Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Samuels, and before we start today, I just want to give a quick reminder to hit subscribe and please share this podcast on social media. For far too long, conservatives have assumed that truth will prevail, but in today's political climate, that is clearly not the case. So if you want to see more conservative values in society, culture, and politics, then make sure to share this podcast on social media so that others can hear about us. All right, so today we're going to take a look at the COVID relief package that was passed by Congress and is now signed into law by President Trump. Not only is the bill itself uh, wildly irresponsible and wasteful, but it really represents a much bigger problem with our country, and that is who ought to be responsible for supporting both Americans and citizens of other countries. And unfortunately, based on who we elected into office to be our representatives, that's right, just a quick reminder that if you don't like Congress, then you have nobody to blame but yourself. But based on who we elected, we collectively believe that the United States federal government is single-handedly responsible for solving the individual problems and serving the local needs of every American and apparently foreign countries as well. At the end of the day, this COVID relief package was really just a political relief for politicians while simultaneously providing no actual relief to the American people, yet forcing them to pay for an outrageous price over the course of multiple generations. So let's begin with what was the COVID relief package? Well, for starters, it was a $900 billion bill called the Consolidated Appropriations Act, and it was attached to the $1.4 trillion omnibus that serves to fund the federal government for the next fiscal year. Essentially, Congress passes one of these every four years to fund the government, and every year they just throw taxpayer dollars down the drain. Uh, initially, President Trump stated that he did not intend on signing the bill because of the lack of funds allocated to support Americans. Primarily, he wanted $2,000 direct payments instead of $600 direct payments. But he ended up signing it on December 27th to avoid a government shutdown, and now $900 billion is a lot of money, but that isn't actually the true cost because it's really just an extension of the $2.2 trillion initial pandemic relief law that passed back in March. If you guys think back to uh, when the when the COVID uh, initially hit, uh, they passed a $2.2 trillion initial pandemic relief law. Uh, and so that brings the actual total up to over $3 trillion of financial support during this year's crisis. Just to give you an idea of how much money that is, the United States only collected $3.4 trillion in revenue last year. That means that between these two relief packages, just for the coronavirus, our government has spent almost as much money as it will collect in an entire year. Now, I'll provide you with a quick economics lesson. If our government spends more money than it brings in with revenue, where does that money come from? Well, unfortunately, it comes from the government taking loans and from simply printing or creating money that doesn't already exist. And there are certainly economic theories about the validity of these tactics, mainly the modern monetary theory, which essentially states that governments can simply create more money in order to pay for their fiscal policies. So for a quick example, let's say the government has $100, but plans $120 in spending for the next year. Well, based on modern monetary theory, 
the government can simply create the additional $20 uh, to spend on its policy that it made. But unfortunately, the plain and simple truth is that from a historical economic perspective, these are absolutely irresponsible ways to fund a country because taking loans to pay for bills like this one combined with what politicians call mandatory spending, that's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, things like that, has resulted in a national debt of almost $28 trillion, which we do not have the ability to repay right now. And printing or creating money in accordance with the modern monetary theory simply to cover debt results in wild inflation rates. And what politicians won't tell you is that increases in inflation are one of the greatest dangers to an economy. Not only does inflation cause a decrease in spending power, but it also winds the gap between rich and poor. And so the plain and simple fact of this bill is that there's that it is incredibly fiscally irresponsible and quite frankly, it only serves to provide political relief to politicians while providing, providing the American taxpayer with essentially next to nothing. But of course, I don't want to make that accusation or that kind of accusation without some sort of justification. So let's take a look at what was actually in the COVID relief bill and in the greater 2021 fiscal year funding uh, right after this quick message from our sponsors. All right, so what was in the COVID relief package? Well, for starters, 17.9% of the relief bill was direct payments to Americans. Although originally the payment was supposed to be $600 per person, Congress is now in the process of increasing that to $2,000 per person, although there is a holdup in the Senate uh, at this moment. 12.9% of the relief bill went to unemployment insurance, 30.6% was for the Paycheck Protection Program, and there was money provided for a myriad of other small business programs, agriculture, unemployment, and health services benefits, as well as refundable tax credits for people. So. Let me be clear that inside of this bill, there was certainly money set aside intended to help Americans. However, in relation to the current need that a large swath of Americans currently face, this bill does not even begin to cover the losses that Americans have felt over the past year. And in terms of fiscal responsibility, this does nothing but damage our economy in the long run. Essentially, what we have here is a bill that allows politicians to say, look, constituents, I saved you from COVID while simultaneously continuing to crush our economy. And I'm not the only one pointing this out. Republican Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, who is one of the last truly fiscal conservatives left in Congress, brought up some of these same concerns. Let's take a quick listen. If free money were the answer, if money really grew on trees, why not give more free money? Why not give it out all the time? Why stop at $600 a person? Why not $1,000? Why not $2,000? Maybe these new free money Republicans should join the Everybody Gets a Guaranteed Income Caucus. And of course, he's exactly right here. Like I mentioned before, many politicians are beginning to ascribe to the modern monetary theory in which they believe that money does essentially grow on trees. But what they fail to understand is that this will absolutely result in an increase in inflation and our national debt. But like I said, the COVID relief package was actually attached to a much more significant budget that will serve to fund the government through the year 2021. Essentially, at the beginning of each fiscal year, Congress has to determine how much money the government is allowed to spend over the course of that next year. But what they won't tell you is that they pretty much always plan on spending more than our country will bring in, in re through revenue. And now, while even on the surface, that's a bad idea because we continually put ourselves in a greater and greater deficit, you could at least understand 
if Congress was pass passing budgets with overspending to preserve ongoing programs meant to serve the American people. But unfortunately, Congress is choosing to spend your hard-earned taxpayer dollars on some outrageous programs. Now, I have my own critiques of President Trump, but he certainly gave it, or he recently gave a speech uh, about where some of our taxpayer dollars were going, and I think it's worth listening to. It's $85.5 million for assistance to Cambodia, $134 million to Burma, $1.3 billion for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment. $25 million for democracy and gender programs in Pakistan. $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama. $40 million for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., which is not even open for business. $1 billion for the Smithsonian and an additional $154 million for the National Gallery of Art. Likewise, these facilities are essentially not open. $7 million for reef fish management, $25 million to combat Asian carp, $2.5 million to count the number of amberjack fish in the Gulf of Mexico, a provision to promote the breeding of fish in federal hatcheries, $3 million in poultry production technology, $2 million to research the impact of downed trees, $566 million for construction projects at the FBI. So President Trump actually makes a great point here, which is to show the extent to which Congress just throws around American taxpayer dollars. But to be honest, those aren't even the most ridiculous budget inclusions. If you want a full list of wasteful spending in this year's spending re resolution, check out the link in the description to see Senator Rand Paul's annual Festivus report, which highlights uh, this year's federal spending problems. All right, so if the congressional budget and the money spent on this year on this COVID relief package weren't bad enough just because of their economic consequences, the actual worst part of this whole bill is that the American people are still hurting, and this essentially provides no relief but has all the consequences. So even though I may personally be frustrated at government spending overall, I can reasonably look at COVID relief and say, well... I may not agree that government should solve this problem, but I can understand that they're trying to help Americans through a hard time, right? It's just like food stamps. I may not agree with government-provided food stamps, but I can at least understand the reasoning and the argument behind them. But the problem with this COVID relief bill is that it doesn't actually solve any problems. It simply does not cover the amount of need that Americans are facing, which, again, is why I think that this bill is really just political relief for politicians. And I'm not the only one saying this either. So uh, Democrat Congresswoman and former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard also makes this exact point. Because this bill is a slap in the face to the American people, people who are sitting in their cars waiting in line for hours to get free food from the food bank, people who've been without jobs for months, People who are, are concerned about getting evicted from their apartments or their homes because they haven't been able to pay their rent. Uh, to say that it's okay to give hundreds of billions of dollars to corporate special interests, to foreign countries, uh, to the military-industrial complex, but to the American people who are struggling and suffering and who need help the most, you get 600 bucks. It's an absolute insult, and the American people deserve better.
Now, Tulsi and Gabbard, Gabbard and I probably don't agree on very many political positions, but I do think she has a point here. If we're going to waste taxpayer dollars on wildly irresponsible federal spending, why don't we at least use it to cover the need in America right now? Again, I'm certainly not a fan of government handouts or redistribution, but why are we spending American dollars on worthless programs when there's serious need across the country right now? Let me give you a few statistics from this year. So unemployment rose to 14.7% in April and still remains around 7%. The number of adults reporting that their household does not have enough food to eat went from 3.4% to 13% and actually increased to 17% in homes with children, which resulted in somewhere between 7 to 11 million children lacking food in the United States. 42% of homes with children have reported difficulty covering usual expenses like food, rent, and medical payments. One in five adult renters reported that they were behind on their rent, and one in four uh, rental houses with children are behind on their rent. There's still 568,000 people that are homeless. There's 13.6 million widows, 19.5 million children without a father in their home, and American poverty rose to 17.3% in August. So you tell me, should our taxpayer dollars go to gender studies in Pakistan or to the hungry children in our neighborhoods? If you ask me, $600 or even $2,000 per person doesn't really begin to cover months of food, rent, medical expenses, and so on. Again, this just goes to show that this bill was nothing but a way for politicians to get relief from their, their constituents while not actually solving any of our nation's problems. But as irresponsible and ill-fitting as this package is, nothing I've talked about, about so far covers the true root of the problem we have in America right now. As bad as this bill might be, the core of the problem really falls back on three fundamental questions. First, who is responsible for serving the need in the community? Second, who should people go to in a time of crisis? And third, what is your church doing to show people the love of Jesus? And so let's dissect each of these three questions a little bit more. So from a purely political viewpoint, our nation was founded on the concept of federalism and decentralized governance. And so even without taking religion into consideration, our country was built on the notion that local economies and organizations take care of the people in need in their local area. So even theoretically, that would include churches since from a merely secular perspective, churches are groups of people who gather on a regular basis and take an interest in one another's life. But really the church's responsibility goes much deeper than that of other local organizations. The churches or the Christian church actually has a biblical mandate to care for people in need. Over and over again, Jesus reiterates that we ought to be taking care of people that are less fortunate, and you can read about how they carried that out in the uh, early biblical church. When you look around at American society and your city and your neighborhood, are the local churches taking responsibility for the need around them? I think that we see a check the block type mentality in churches where they think that. As long as they're doing something like giving to a charity or donating to a missional family overseas, that they are checking that block on their necessary giving. But quite frankly, that doesn't cut it. Based on what, what's in the Bible, our churches should be held to a much higher standard and should be the number one providers of support in any community. Government, on the other hand, is inherently bad at providing relief for families and communities in America. A great example of this is single motherhood in minority communities. In the 70s and 80s, single parenthood rates were around 16 to 18 percent. 
the government stepped in and tried to solve the problem and actually ended up incentivizing single parenthood. And now the rates are somewhere uh, between 60 to 70%. If instead the American church had stepped in and at the local level simply provided for and taken care of single mothers in need, then the government would never have needed to step in and they wouldn't have created programs incentivizing uh, single parenthood. So when we think about the current political climate in America, is it really any surprise that people are replacing God with government and look to politicians to help them in, in a time of need since they just simply can't rely on their local church? All right, the second question uh, that this brings us to is, who should people go to in a time of crisis? Well, right now, unfortunately, more and more often people are turning to the government for help in times of crisis. And quite frankly, I understand why. People simply do not see the church out in the community as much as they see the effects of government. So as Christians, we really have two responsibilities here. First, it's our role as followers of Jesus to love our neighbors so much that people understand the love of Christ. We should be so active in our local communities that everyone around us inherently knows that they can come to us for help. And second, we should stop recommending government-led solutions and start recommending church-led solutions, both in our personal lives and in our professional lives. So if you have a friend who is in need past what you are personally able to help them with, I recommend that you, your first reaction be to reach out to the local church and find a way for that church to support them. Now, extrapolate that out to your community as a whole as well. If your town or city or county has a problem, start identifying how the church, rather than the government, could find a way to solve or alleviate that problem. And that brings, us, brings me to the third fundamental question here. What is your church doing to show people the love of Jesus? Both society throughout history and more recently American culture have transformed the Christian church. In Acts 2, we can see what the church was designed to be. So let me read a quick passage for you. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their positions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, atten attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that's Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. Tell me, does that sound like your church? Does your church love others so much that people are literally selling off their positions just to give to those in need? Are you meeting in people's homes and praising God with one another outside of just a Sunday service? Well, in addition to that, when we look at leaders in the early church and in effective modern churches, they, they do not simply exist just to put on a performance for their congregation or to simply give a moral morale booster on, a, on Sunday. Pastors and church leaders exist to equip their congregation to love God, share the gospel, and love their neighbors. If your church only has people coming in to hear the gospel and nobody going out sharing the gospel, that church is severely falling short of its biblical calling. If our churches were truly meeting God's intent and sending disciples into the world, there would be no need for government relief. There would be no reliance or idolization on politicians. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Government cannot legislate morality, and it certainly can't legislate people loving their neighbors. Collectively, as a society, 
we must begin owning the responsibility for our local communities and taking care of those in need around us because if we don't, the federal government will inevitably attempt to legislate each and every one of us into the left leftist definition of morality through socialism and a wildly more redistributive version of government. If you become if you have become disenfranchised with American government, if you look at our nation today and worry about the future your children will grow up in, and if you want to see a change in culture and in politics in America, the only hope for our nation is to begin with a grassroots grassroots movement to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, return to religious principles in our families and our communities, and provide for our neighbors to the point that we eliminate the need for government to step in or legislate a social safety net. God bless and have a happy new year. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you liked what you heard, give us a shout out on social media or leave a review. We are available everywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you want to support this podcast and keep us on the air, click on the link in the show description to find out how. And if you ever ever have any questions or want to reach out, you can contact us at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. God bless you.